everybody, and welcome to Mom of the Hard Kid. Today, I'm going to be talking about a letter I found on the internet. Yep, that's what I'm going to talk about. And that is because I'm going to be doing another episode on something that's happening in our lives, and I'm going to reference this letter. So I'm going to talk about this letter right now. So this is a letter written by a, I think, woman, I'm pretty sure woman, named Carrie McGinn. And it's C-A-R-E-Y, and her last name is M-C-G-I-N-N. And she has her doctorate in education, and she has some other certifications that I don't know what they mean, but a triple C certification and an SLP certification, whatever those mean. But she writes this letter And it says, an open letter to educators who work with students who have been diagnosed with reactive attachment disorder or have suffered early trauma. Now, I came across this letter as I was getting together this brochure that I put together when my kid was going to enter into elementary school as a kindergartner because she'd already been kicked out of multiple preschools and a daycare And I just wanted somebody to understand. So when I saw this letter, and it is a long, it's a long letter. There's a lot of information in it. I'm not even sure that when I give this to anybody that anybody actually reads this. But I I still have this as an opportunity to, to know that there's some teacher out there, not only who understood, but to say, hey, here is this option for when you are burnt out because teachers, you're inevitably going to be burnt out by this child. Now, not every child, of course, because every child is different. But for mine, mine is inevitably going to burn you out because that's just she can't help it. Even when she's doing well, she can't help it. There's there's regular ADHD and then there's trauma ADHD. And (sighs) I know how exhausting the trauma ADHD is. But I'm going to read a few pieces of this and kind of give you an outline of what it talks about. But I'm going to read the first two paragraphs because I think that they're just really good. So, dear educator, a child with reactive attachment disorder or strongly suspected of having an attachment disorder is enrolled in your classroom or on your caseload. Among your multitude of duties, you are now being asked to address this child's specialized learning needs with little to no information about this disorder. Actually, this child may not be the only kid in your classroom or on your caseload who has attachment difficulties. Nancy Thomas, who specializes in this disorder, reports that there are five children with attachment disruptions in the average classroom. This child may be excessively polite or superficially charming, leading you to wonder, this child has a behavior disorder? No way! You should meet the rest of my students. Now, conversely, this child may be aggressive, manipulative, or highly controlling. And you might be thinking, what an awful child. It must be those parents. I am ashamed to admit that those were often my thoughts until I began to understand reactive attachment disorder. Oh my goodness, you guys, that's the first two paragraphs. And when I read those first two paragraphs, I don't think I was crying, but if I did, I would be understanding. You know, that's, that's kind of how I am. Like I would understand if I cried at those two paragraphs 
Because when you are the mom of a reactive attachment type child, nobody understands. Because you have, I have that that superficially charming child, which comes a lot in the disinhibited social engagement disorder part of reactive attachment disorder. So when I read that, I was like, whoa, whoa. And then it goes on. And so she talks about about history, about how they don't have their cries met by their caretaker and what that does and how they might be hungry or scared and they are alone and what that does. And then she talks about emotional regulation and how when you're a baby, you learn to regulate your emotions based on your mom holding you, right? So, and I just thought she put this together so well. So I'm just going to read part of it because really she just does it so well and so in such a way that really just feels like it just takes it off my plate to explain. So I'm going to read this next part. Emotional and behavioral regulation is learned in the caretaker's arms. When babies cry, caretakers soothe them through rocking, singing, touching, and the loving eye gaze. This helps infants to self-soothe and to cope with strong emotions such as rage. Babies who are not held or comforted when they are distressed do not learn to cope with strong emotions. And for this reason, many children with reactive attachment disorder have difficulty regulating their emotions and therefore their behavior. End quote. So then she talks about rage. And I don't think my daughter has rage very often at school, but I do think this is just an absolutely critical piece of ha- of understanding these children and why they act the way that they act. And I'm going to read another one. Oh my gosh, this is just one of my favorite. <laughs> I really, really recommend this to any of you people who have children with reactive attachment disorder to give this to the teacher if there are troubles at school. Quote, this internalized rage becomes problematic during the second year of life when toddlers need to cope with and accept limit setting. Their fear, rage, and distrust are so great that they explode when someone sets a limit with the word no. They believe that this person is standing in the way of their personal safety or trying to control them. So they react with a fight, flight, or freeze response. They perceive this interaction as a threat to their safety and they will maintain their safety at any cost. And they truly believe that they will die if they are not in control of the interactions with others. End quote. Oh my goodness. That just right there explained every minute of my little lady when she was young. It wasn't normal toddler tantrum. It wasn't even normal nasty toddler tantrum. It was life and death and felt very psychotic to me watching her behave this way. I was like, what is happening? Now, I wouldn't really say they truly believe they're going to they're going to die, <laughs> but I can understand why she put it in that phraseology cuz really this is this is so great. Now, she re- references Nancy Thomas several times in this letter. And Nancy Thomas has a great book that maybe I'll go over sometime too, where she explains very simply 
reactive attachment disorder and and what that looks like and what she does. And I found when I read it, I was like, I feel like I do a lot of the same things. Because when you read it, you're like, oh, that's really strict. But you have to be really strict with these kids because they have to know exactly every part of their boundary system or else it does bring that fight, flight, freeze into play. So if they have any questions, if they have any fears about what's happening, how you feel about them, anything that's going on, then they trigger into that and then you're in a nightmare bill. So she talks about the common causes of attachment disorders and she's referencing Nancy Thomas's book here. And and we've talked about this, about the uh, ambivalence of a mother or emotional, physical, or sexual abuse, neglect, illness, or pain that can be taken away by a caretaker, um, lack of rocking or nurturing, inadequate daycare, moving a lot, such as foster care or changes of caretaker within the family, um, and sometimes drug exposure when they're in utero. So then she talks about the symptoms that are there, which we've also talked about too. So she references um, superficially engaging and charming, indiscriminately affectionate with strangers, cruelty to animals, stealing, Im- no impulse control, free- frequently hyperactive. And to me, for those of you, I don't know, I don't even know how to buffer this to say some of you have heard me say this. I think this has a lot to do with the fact that they they don't really take the time to know a consequence. They're just living in the now. They don't think about 30 seconds from now. They just think about right now. And so uh, you have so many impulsivity issues, abnormal speech patterns, which doesn't happen in our situation, Um, presumptive entitlement issues. (laughs) That definitely happens in our situation. We've been able to talk a lot about that one and, and work that one down a little bit but it is kind of astonishing. So she then goes into this portion of the letter where she talks about classroom and therapeutic accommodations for children that have reactive attachment disorder. And this is great because her very first sentence in this group is, it takes a team to educate and heal a child with reactive attachment disorder. And as a parent, you're like, oh my gosh, I need so much help. This child... I, I am going to go out on a limb here. And I know that this is from personal experience. And when you're feeling it, you always feel that yours is the worst case. But I don't think there are very many more intense mental illnesses in children than reactive attachment disorder. I feel like it's because the chaos going on in the brain is so big that it it mirrors so many different mental illnesses and there's so there's no place that that anything can latch on to to make a logical and informed decision that it's almost like every other kid you know has a pathway and they go down that pathway but the reactive attachment kid is like zooming around in the air and bouncing off the wall and like and they're not following any kind of any kind of path. And so you end up just all over the place with with symptoms that look like bipolar disorder and symptoms that look like borderline personality disorder. 
and symptoms that look like psychopathy and and just so many things happening that you're like this child is just busted this child is broken if if you receive this child on amazon you would return this child to be refurbished so that they could be functional they're not functional and it takes a lot to to deal with that. But of course, that's another story we're talking about this letter, I gotta pull myself in. So one of the things that she has is that educators need to take good care of themselves. And this brings me tons of guilt as a parent, where she's talking about how, you know, it's exhausting to have these difficult kids in your class, and how they push buttons that adults didn't even know they have. And I think I know what that feels like. And I know this teacher gets to go home every night and not have to deal with this little child. And I know that she gets breaks. And I know I know this. But I also think it hurts as the parent to know that you're making someone else have to feel that way. That's really hard. And I know that the parents, I mean, the teacher's they live their own lives. They don't really care the way that we feel about this, but it's really hard. And I'm going to go off on a little tangent here and talk about a friend of mine who is a teacher and she talks about the hard kids in her class. And I think, oh my gosh, like having her talk about that makes me absolutely hate that my child has to go to school because she just is like, they make life awful. It's so horrible. I hate my job. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like, what do I do? Do I, do I just keep her home? Because I don't, I don't know what to do because it is really hard to have the hard kid because they're hard, but it's also hard to have the hard kid because everybody else feels absolutely majorly weighed down by your child. And that's a that's a hard place to be. Like it's hard to be that parent that's like, "Hey, I know you've had a terrible day and I know it's because of my kid, you know. I know it. But I just don't know what else to do. I don't know if I should keep her home. I don't know. I don't know any of that." So I'm just trying to do the right thing, trying to make myself accessible, all of those things. But it it really breaks your heart as the parent to know that everybody is having a horrible day because you sent your kid to school. So one of my favorite parts, though, about this letter is she says she talks about the love and logic techniques of behavioral management and I think that's great. I think that these are things I'm going to take to her teacher when I go. Oh, I forgot. I didn't talk about that part. That part's coming in the next episode. (laughs) But she talks about recognizing who has control, offering appropriate choices, um, identify if a given problem belongs to the child or the educator. And what I think she means by that is, oh, that's not my problem. You take care of that kind of thing setting limits, recognizing empathetic responses, designing appropriate consequences for inappropriate behavior. I agree with all these things, but I would add, be direct in your words, be very clear. If you present to this child a weakness, this is not in the letter, this is just my recommendation, then they will plow that weakness down and stomp on it until... (laughs) until there's nothing left. 
because they're very attuned to what will what will be beneficial for them and so they they'll just they'll just plow you over like someone running over a wall with a tank like they they don't care so I would also add be very very direct I just I really can't even just praise this letter enough. So she talks about avoiding behavior management plans and level systems. And this is great advice. Behavioral management, this is a quote, behavioral management and level systems are based on consistency. And this consistency makes these plans easy targets for children with reactive attachment disorder. Children with reactive attachment disorder will not internalize the target behaviors but they may manipulate the system for their own purposes, end quote. <laughs> you guys, and I tell this to the teachers, not to you parents, because I know you parents already know. Teachers, this kid is probably smarter than you. This kid is definitely better than you at manipulation, because I'm going to guess that as a teacher, you don't really practice manipulation terribly intricately, maybe very basically, but not in this deep, serious level of pinpoint precision that these kids can do this in. So (laughs) I just love this letter. And I know that when you give it to your teacher, they're going to be like, huh. But I'm just going to tell you, they will go back to this letter eventually when when all of the superficialness wears off. They need to have this letter available to them so that they can understand what's going on. Because I remember when I read, oh goodness, what was that book? I read a book about behaviors. I read it when I was in foster care preparation class. And I was like, okay, for sure. Yeah, I understand this. And then I read it while I had my little lady starting her behaviors. And I was like, whoa, that means something totally different to me now. And then I read it a couple years after that. And was like, whoa, uh, that even means something more different now. So having this resource available to the teacher even if they don't read it right on time, just keep referencing back. Oh, you know the letter I gave you and have another copy available. Say, oh, here it is. Because she also talks about having a tightly structured and loving environment where rules never change, but consequences do. So she says, and I quote, slowly decrease the structure when the child demonstrates the ability to be respectful. Take care of the little things and the big things will take care of themselves. Okay. But she talks about conditional positives or reverse positives. And I love this. (laughs) So conditional positive example number one is I noticed slash I see that you passed your homework today. But the reverse positive is I see that you did both homework assignments. Did you get aliens to help you? Because For some reason, when you put it in a ridiculous way, it catches them off guard and then they totally messes up their manipulation tactics. And it really is great. And I love that Nancy Thomas came to this on her own because I I just love I love that there is that connection there and that, you know, I was able to find her book and be able to find her information. And I love that this lady put it in this letter. But she talks about some of the things you should avoid. 
as a teacher. So I'm going to kind of quote this part, but it might might be a little not exact in the quotations. So she talks about unconditional negatives. You never study. So to avoid these and unconditional positives, you are so smart. So she talks about how you shouldn't do that. And the reason you shouldn't do that, in my opinion, it doesn't really explain this here, is because it instantly puts the child on defense. It instantly puts them back into that questioning mode where they just, it's almost like you can see their face where their eyes narrow and they're like, oh yeah? Like if you give them a compliment and it's a straight compliment, you are offending them just as bad as if you're giving them a negative, (laughs) what's the word? Telling them something negative. So it's just... Uh, just applause for this letter. So it says next, it says, allow children with reactive attachment disorder to experience the natural consequences or the logical consequence of their poor choice. This is a must. A must. If you don't study for the test, you should get an F because one of the things that these reactive attachment disorder children have, like I said earlier, is the inability to see ahead. So they're living in the moment. They have to learn that there is a future and there is a past. And so when you give them these experiences, you're teaching them just like they would have learned when they were a baby. Because when you're a baby and you're in a crib and you cry and then there's an outcome, mom comes, then you start to expect an outcome. Now these kids, if they were neglected, they didn't have the outcome. So their brain doesn't understand this part. So as hard as this is, we're trying to get these kids to adulthood. We're not trying to have them be perfect at five or six or 10 or 12. We're trying to get them to be functional adults at 18. So we want to have them have these experiences that they missed when they were babies so that they can end up being able to be adults when they're 18. So I love this next part. I know this is probably getting really long, but she says, provide consequences the first time. Do not give the child a second chance. Second chances are fairly rare at my house because if you give her a second chance, she will use that as a manipulation tactic in the future and it will be hours of fighting. So you just have to say, nope, here's the rules. Here's the boundaries. You, you broke the rule. Here's your boundary. Because if you don't, then you are going to be spending, and I am not kidding, hours a day fighting about those extra lines and those extra things because the manipulation is huge. So her last advice is about, or the last advice I'm going to talk about is using one liners. And I think this is great because I, as the parent, am happy to talk to her. No, I'm willing to talk to her for hours and hours and hours a day to explain things, to get her to understand perspectives. I'm willing to do that. But as the teacher, that's not the teacher's responsibility. That's my responsibility as the parent, right? The teacher's responsibility is to manage her classroom and teach. So using one-liners like, oh, that's too bad. Interesting. Bummer. Anyway, if anyone can handle it, I'm sure you can. It's a way that we've all been offended by being dismissed 
but you also give them that little attention that they need. So for some reason, my little lady just needs that attention. And if you don't give it to her, she'll freak out and melt down. So by giving her just, just a taste, just the tiniest little thing, like, oh, how sad. What do you think? You know, what do you think? I think just, just, just the one liners will really help give that child a little bit um, of that attention seeking and make them feel comforted by that without having to go into the huge territory of parenting. (laughs) I'm going to stop now because I feel like this is getting really long, but I am going to just make a note for those of you who look it up. She does have some little hints about arguing and how not to argue <laughs> and to to notice subtle attempts of when the child is trying to control you because they will they can't help it this is how they're built this is this is the consequence of being neglected and having their pathways not formed correctly or um having trauma in their life where they're in that fight or flight where this is survival to them they're stuck in a survival mode and they're uncomfortable uh, almost 100% of the time. Almost 100% of the time, they are feeling like they're in the middle of the woods and a bear is chasing them. Like, that's where they live their life. It is a terribly horrible thing to feel. And every single adult that they come across is another potential bear. And they're just terrified all the time. So... We'll go into other pieces of that at another time. But I just want to say for any of you who are having a hard time with teacher, I really, really, really recommend this letter because I think that it really explains it to the teacher. And again, this is called an open letter to educators who work with students who have been diagnosed with reactive attachment disorder or who have suffered early trauma by Carrie McGinn. I really recommend you look it up and read the whole thing and then give it to all of the teachers of your student. (laughs) It really is helpful because if you have the teacher on your side, then you're also going to have a, a lot better time with your child. And one last thing I recommend that is not in this letter, but I just want to recommend it. Make sure, unlike the teacher that I have right now for my daughter, Make sure that you are involved in your child's life and in what happened that day. So the teacher say, hey, you know what? I want to know when she's had a bad day so I can talk to her. So that you are always in that position of authority. And so that in that child's mind, the teacher does not have more authority over her than you do. Because that will just create another triangle that the child tries to use for manipulation And it gets really chaotic. So make sure that you say to the teacher, if it's a bad day, you let me know so that I can talk to my child about it. Anyway, I wish you all the best. I know it's hard, but you can do it. We can do it. We're going to make it. Thanks for joining.